So on this day, in this service, we celebrate and commemorate the inauguration of the Lord's Supper, of the Eucharist, of that define, that rite that so defines our life and our worship in the church. But, of course, this is Christianity. We can't just introduce it in some kind of uh, <clears throat> nice, neat, triumphalistic package. Like, okay, here Jesus set the table, and they were all at the feast together, and everything was great. Um, I mean, that's kind of the ideal that we do have, and we carry in to our participation in the Eucharist that 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 it is a feast, and that and that there is this this um, uh, celebratory aspect to it. Uh, which is there. It's, it's definitely there. I mean, eating together is something sacred and it unites us to one another in Christ. Uh, but did you hear the gospel we just read? Did you hear the context for this? Because the context doesn't have that triumphal note to it. It doesn't have that sense of fellowship and camaraderie and unity that we envision as being, you know, characteristic of the Eucharist. It's, on the one hand, you have this ultimate act of betrayal by one of Jesus' inner circles, by one of the twelve apostles that Jesus himself chose, Judas Iscariot. And on the other hand, you have just just the disciples not getting it. And on the other hand, you have the disciples pledging loyalty and fealty, even unto death, to Jesus, when it doesn't pan out that way. This is the Lord's Supper. This is the context of the Eucharist. So let's start with the easy one. Start with Judas. How do we respond to this? And the church gives us a response. On the one hand, Judas is absolutely, in no uncertain terms, condemned for the evil of what he did. It says in the hymnography that we just heard, truly, Judas is descended from those vipers who ate manna in the wilderness yet murmured against him who nourished them. For while the food was still in their mouths, these ungrateful men reviled God. So too this godless man, while still bearing in his mouth the heavenly bread, contrived the betrayal of the Savior. So the context isn't just the, the immediate context uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Eucharist. It's expanded outward, as it is by the Old Testament readings as well, to this is something that is that is typical of not just Judas, but of the people of God as a whole. 
And what we're, what the hymnography brings us back to and the Old Testament ring, readings bring us back to is the experience of the people of God. The ones who Moses led through the wilderness to the promised land. The ones who ate the manna that came down from heaven. And as they were eating that manna that came down from heaven, they were complaining about it. We're sick of this manna. They were rejecting God and his leader Moses. And this is how Judas is compared to. I mean, he had just received the body of Christ in his mouth. And now he's going to betray Christ. So the church condemns in no uncertain terms the evil that is there. But I didn't finish the hymn. What is the end of the hymn? He delivers to death the master whom he loved. Truly this lawless man is their son. With him will he inherit perdition. Spare our souls of such inhumanity, O only Lord of boundless mercy. And if you listen not just to this hymn, but we're listening to the other hymns as well, it's clear that what our prayer is at this point is don't, please Lord, don't let us become like Judas. Even as we condemn the ultimate betrayal, this evil, we have to acknowledge that that lies within us as well. As we see, even in the disciples who didn't betray Jesus. So here Jesus is, knowing that God has given all things into his hands and that he is about to accomplish the salvation of all mankind. And what does he do? Here is, he is the king of the universe knowing that he is about to step into that kingship, and he takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist like a servant, and starts washing his disciples' feet. This is our leader. This is real leadership. But of course, the disciples don't get it. As, you know, we typically don't. I mean, as I was just observing to Deacon Peter this morning, it's a hard time to be a leader. Everyone's second-guessing you on every single thing that you do. Everybody's an expert. And you're doing this wrong or that wrong or that was a dumb decision. And that is, and, and, and that's just what we do. And the disciples were no different. So, Jesus comes up, starts washing his disciples' feet. He comes to Peter and, and, and Peter immediately says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I know far better than you do. This is completely beneath you. This is not what a ruler should do. This is not what a, this is not true leadership. No, no, you'll never wash my feet. And of course, Jesus then says, well, you know, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. 
Well, then Jesus still isn't doing it right. Oh, well then, Lord, wash my hands and my head also. And Peter's us. You're not doing it right, God. We heard the reading from Job, right? Where uh, it's at the end, from the end of Job. Where God, you know, Job's been complaining to God and 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 asking that his, his that his, that his voice be heard, and God finally appears to him and says, "Okay, here I am." So I, I hear your complaints. A um, couple of questions for you: uh, Did you flip the light switch and turn on the sun this morning? No, I didn't think so. Uh, did you create the Leviathan? No, nope, didn't think so. Uh, do you know about how all of these things work that I created? No, no, I didn't think you knew anything like that either. You don't know anything, do you, Job? <laughs> but I do. And I care about you. And of course, Job, you know, he gets it. He's a, he's a righteous man. And you know, Peter as well, he, he gets it. He, he takes the correction. That's the distinction, ultimately, between Judas and Peter. It's, it's kind of the only distinction. <laughs> Peter ultimately gets it. Judas doesn't. <laughs> because the other thing that we saw here is, is this, you know, the disciples have just been with Jesus, eating with him. And so they are not naturally identifying with him. And as a part of that identification, they swear ultimate loyalty to him. Lord, even if everybody else deserts you, I won't. You know, I will go to the death. I will go to death. I will die for you. And then what's the reality of this? As soon as the shepherd is struck, the sheep run off. Well, you know, Peter, to his credit, whips out his sword. Of course, again, he's not getting it. <laughs> Chops off somebody's ear and Jesus is like, no, no, don't do that. Here, put that away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he heals the guy's ear that Peter just chopped off. You know, don't you think I could call 12 legions of angels? And then they all, they all run away. And, and Peter is confronted by the very intimidating fig- figure of a servant girl. And what does he do? Uh, well, no, no, I, I don't even know the guy. It was I just happened to be here, you know, warm my hands by the fire. He can't even confess Jesus in front of a servant girl. Never mind go to his death for Jesus. So as I say, this is the context for us of the introduction of the Eucharist of that life-giving fount of immortality that we participate in. This is deliberately the context, because this is us. We are Peter. We are the disciples. By God's grace, we hope and pray that we will not be Judas Iscariot. But we have that within us too. And so, as we come to partake of our Lord's body and blood, which has been broken for us and spilled out for us 
and for our healing and for our salvation. This is the context within which we must come. This is the brokenness that we must acknowledge. This is the only way in which we can approach and partake in anything that does not smack of self-satisfied, arrogant pride. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's precisely that acknowledgement of that, this brokenness that is the means by which our Lord makes us his people, brings us into fellowship with himself and by extension with one another. Because it's only as we acknowledge our own brokenness and the extent of our own brokenness that we can begin to stop judging one another, stop condemning one another, stop devouring one another, and love one another as Jesus loves us. As Jesus loves me. That's the point of the context. That's the point of the Eucharist. This is the way that God leads us into an understanding of who we are before him, of who he is in his infinite love and mercy towards us, and how we can be made one in him and thus be saved. To his glory, the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.